The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. To people who are in love with the NBA and who we need to tell that the WNBA offers these same type of stories, if not better sometimes, who would be like the J.R. Smith in the WNBA? <laughs> Courtney Williams. Yeah. Easy. It's yes! done. I already have it. It is Courtney Williams. Oh, oh why? Well, tell so me why. Why Courtney Williams? Courtney Because Courtney Williams is a little goon. She is. <laughs> What is up, everyone? Do not adjust your computers, your phones. I am indeed a different Filipino NBA personality. Uh, I'm CJ Toledano. Guys, we have a great show for you today. I'm, I'm filling in for Jason Concepcion. Uh, he's out today. But guys, I'm joined here on this episode of Take Line with a friend, a collaborator, another NBA personality. He hosts Airbuds Pod. Sorry, we love the NFL and NBA story time. Jamel Johnson. Jamel, how are you doing? First off, I'm not a NBA <laughs> personality. Don't even, don't try. <laughs> Where are you then? What would you call yourself? I am a man with a Twitter account. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Aren't I'm we all? An NBA personality. We're, come on, man. You ain't never seen Is that me. offensive? I wasn't on TNT. <laughs> With the Home Alone jacket on, Home Alone vest. That was you, dog. <laughs> That's too inside. All right, listen, me and Jamel, if you guys don't know us, work for follow through. You've seen us on NBA Twitter. We're two guys with accounts. We get takes off, so that's why it's perfect. We're hosting Take Line. We are here shooting our shot. This is our yeah. big shot for <laughs> internet, radio, supremacy, and we're gonna we're gonna hit him. <laughs> this is this is not Davis Bertans pulling up for three. We we making our shots today. Okay. Damn it. And that's what you, we're, we're gonna, we're, there's some bigger names from the weekend, but we're going to hear a lot of Bertans talk uh, this episode. 42 minutes about Davis Bertans. <laughs> uh, amazing show we have planned for you guys. We have uh, Chris Herring of Sports Illustrated to help preview the conference finals. Mm -hmm. We're also going to uh, be joined by a fellow friend, Jordan Liggins, host mm -hmm. for Jordan Brand, co-host of the Spinster Show, uh, WNBA host for Buckets. But hey, guys. Let's get into talk of the weekend. Let's welcome producers Ryan Wallerson and Zuri Irvin to chop it up about the two very juicy games. I don't know if juicy is the right word. Juiceless. But the <laughs> most driest. The most. Well, that was not basketball, dog. Those were not games. That was fraudulent. Those were government plants. Joe Biden made that all happen to take our minds off the real issues. That's how I feel. I think we got to start on the Mavs Suns game seven. What an atrocity. I'm just going to say the score and the score doesn't tell the story in a wild way. The Mavs defeated the Suns 123 to 90 to win the series. Uh, Zuri or Ryan, who, one of you guys start us off. What the hell happened? They laid an egg. I don't, I, I don't, it's, I don't know if Chris Paul can be that washed that quickly. Stephen A keeps saying that as soon as he turned 37, then he fell off the cliff. I don't know what kind of birthday he had. I don't know how late he's, he's <laughs> stayed out that night. 
But, you know, I guess he, he takes a lot of the onus. And then the other thing is Devin Booker, um, far too young, far too healthy to play like that in Game 7. I think that's probably the most disappointing thing. That, that's, that's what makes it not about age for me. Like, Chris Paul's had a great season. Chris Paul's been not dominating, but he's been impactful in these playoffs, both positively and negatively. He carried them out of that first round. He, yeah. he was the one that kind of stopped the bleeding and said, you know what? We're not losing to New Orleans. The series is getting a little bit too interesting for the talking heads. <laughs> this is over now. Instituting curfews, came out like shooting like gangbusters in the deciding game. And you thought, you know, Chris Paul just wants to march right back to the finals. And we all were willing to accept that narrative because around the league, people want Chris Paul to retire with a ring, at least the fans, if not the players. I remember when we had Aaron on the show up 2-0, he said... And I quote, this will be done soon, guys. (laughs) And I told him, man, be wary of this 2-0 lead because we've been here before. And I didn't think it was going to come to fruition when I said it. I just, you know, I reminded him not to tempt the basketball gods. And wow, like, this is absolutely devastating. Like, I I can't imagine how the Suns wake up, like what mood they wake up in when they open their eyes this morning and realize that they really just did that. Hey, Again, yeah, Chris Paul especially. A bad day is a bad day. Chris Paul started eating. <laughs> he started eating ribs again. He <laughs> had <laughs> ribs. Yeah, you saw, it was well, just, this weekend. I just hope he didn't start it on Instagram. I just hope he didn't start it on Instagram. Well, Ryan, you, you Ryan, you mentioned that like a lot of people want Chris Paul to retire with a ring. I'm curious, CJ and Jamel, are you guys some of those people where like he deserves this? I do not that? care. I do not care. Yo, I'm so over narratives. I just want to watch a basketball game happen. I'm tired of, and it's mainly because I lost like hundreds of dollars <laughs> gambling on narratives. Oh, I want Chris Paul to be happy. He'll have 14 points today. Yeah. Wrong. Well, yeah. and I think that there is a difference yeah. between, I don't even know if these are official labels I'm trying to put them on, but like Chris Paul is is no question a great, but then there's the greatest of all times. And to be the GOATs, you have to win You have to close out stuff. You have to win championships. And we're seeing it shake out. Like I had said last week, I think in the Hollinger interview, I was like, I feel like Chris Paul peaks too much and at the wrong times. Like no question. He went 14 Mm -hmm. for 14 in that Pelicans game. I wasn't, I wasn't like officially stating Chris, this is Chris Paul's year or he's going to win a championship. Like that happened. Great. But you got to do that in the right situations. Game seven in the second round should be easy for him. And and he not only didn't close it out, he didn't show up, period. The Suns did not show up, and he's the leader of that team. He's got to take a major part of the responsibility of, of that embarrassment. It's time for an investigation. <laughs> Somebody needs to be looked into. I don't know who. I just, why does it feel like Patrick Beverly won the second round of the <laughs> We just watched him. We just watched him on TV this morning in a dress shirt, and it feels like he had a better playoffs than Chris Paul, which is not true. I don't know. It's a nice shirt, and I know he's got really good plates in his house. So Patrick Beverly, he did say on it because I was catching parts of this morning. The major headline was he went on there. He flew to New York from Minnesota or wherever the hell he is right now to tell the world that no one in the NBA fears Chris Paul. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Is that is that real? When Jose Alvarado picked his pockets. <laughs> When yo, we should have known when Jose Alvarado was in his shorts that it things. Were I wrong. almost wish New Orleans won that won that series. Um, I want to pick up something CJ said. It seems like the Suns are kind of front runners 
in that sense. And I keep thinking about that press conference. I think it was after game one or game two with uh, Booker and CP3 yeah. kind of laughing about uh, Luca's defense and then, you know, skip to a week later and this is how it ends. I wonder if there's a chance to talk about Luca or if they like, maybe are they, are the Suns like oddly immature for a super mature team where like maybe don't, maybe don't put those bites out there. Maybe don't like, uh, I mean, that's, feathers. that's definitely how it should. Well, you know, the, the same way that they say that that Celtic series was won against the Bucks when, uh, in that moment with Al Horford and Giannis when when Horford just like put the face on mm-hmm. when his sister tweeted about like yeah I know that face they say that this series was one when I, I guess it was like in warm-ups or on a timeout when Luca was like, like about to go take a shot and Booker blocked him and like took the ball and Luca just like walks away looks back at him and like mutters to himself and we can talk about everything that the Phoenix didn't do but Last night was also a whole lot of what Luca did. Yeah, I don't, yeah like everything that we Mavs. wanted from. Yeah, right. Like we got to talk about the victors here. Like, yes, it's, it's you know, I, I think personally, it, it's borderline sad to watch the Suns crash and burn like this. But you know what? It is what it is, and the team that did it to them has to get their time uh, with the flowers. So, I don't I mean, want to give Spencer. I'm not giving Spencer Dinwiddie credit for anything. <laughs> you you kind of have to. No, you can do that. I'm not doing Look, that. Look, man, you know how many you know how many Knicks are on that team? I feel the pain. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's recap that then, because yeah, we do got to celebrate the Mavs a little bit because they did this to the Suns. Part the Suns did it to themselves, and the Mavs also on top of that did that to the Suns. So Luca had 35. He didn't play the fourth quarter really, or I don't even think at all. Had 27 at the half, which was the same amount that the Suns had. And then, like you said, Dinwiddie had 30. Jamel, as a Wizards fan, I know we've been talking about this before, even the playoffs. You don't like seeing Dinwiddie thrive, but why is he on this team? Because he's finally accepted his role as a backup guard. He's accepted his role and he's and he's thriving. Okay. He didn't want to accept that with us. He thought he was better than Brad. And that's how he acted in the media, and that's why he left. Do you think there's any validity to uh, people were making jokes uh, about him playing because crypto's down? So he's 100%. just got it. Yeah, he's his life is ruined. <laughs> him and the guy from The Bachelor <laughs> have a pile of sawdust sitting in, in, in a in a closet right now, and he's got to get back. He's playing for his freedom. Hey, hey hats off, brother. I, and I'm glad. And I think we have to give. Lil Wayne, some credit for calling Luca a hoe. I think Lil Wayne is also partially responsible for <laughs> Luca's dominance. I think Spencer's probably a starter on 15 teams in the NBA, 16 teams. Yeah. Also, it's such a crooked box score, this Game 7 win. Uh, Spencer had 30, Luca had 35, Jalen had 24. No one else had more than six. And it just felt like a really crisp game from the, from the Mavs. So maybe they can just win in a bunch of different ways, but... It seems like a losing box score. <laughs> this was also about how bad the Suns played, though. Yeah. yeah. Like, so this isn't, I don't think that that's a winning box score against a team that plays winning basketball, but the Suns played everything but winning basketball. And I hope the Mavs keep it up because this is shaping up to be a classic Warriors finals march against a bunch of depleted yeah. teams that don't make no sense. <laughs> Come on, being around. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're looking at. Drake has a uh, has a fortune teller that told him that it was going to be a seven game series against the Dallas Mavericks to go to the NBA Finals. Because now that bet he made makes a whole lot more sense. Yeah, and Loki, I I also I would like to give myself some credit for picking the Mavs to make the West Finals in the fall. 
Go ahead, throw on the Airbus. On, I, on what? I guess it, no, you I picked them, last I picked night them in the, in the wall, but I didn't know it was going to be at the hands <laughs> okay. of two of my wizards. I didn't what know. What warranted we were that, though? Him. What warranted that, Jamel? Honestly, I'm no. I, you know, I picked the Mavs because I thought that the Lakers would. I thought it was going to set up for the Lakers to walk into the finals. So I'm yeah. like, okay, who's a good matchup for mm. the Lakers to just run over? Oh, the Mavs. Oh, yeah. well, turns out you are perfectly right about the role that they're going to play. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I feel like in the first round, everyone was talking about, oh, this Mavs team is surprising. And like in the offseason, they'll get this piece and that piece. But now we're talking about potential of them, you know, playing against the Warriors, making the finals here. Now, so do the Mavs, have they figured it out accidentally? I, I don't even think this was part of their plan. Are they missing a piece or are they going to Warriors the Warriors in, in the finals here? Just shooting threes on them. Is Jason Kidd a good coach? That's what I, yeah, is Jason Kidd. That's a great question. Let's, I don't know. He coached the hell out of that game seven. He was floor generaling the hell out of that on the sidelines, screaming at those boys. I I thought it was very active. It seems like he put his fingerprints on that victory. Because we all thought it was unnecessary. Like when the Bucks let him go and then they won a title, we're like, okay, this is everything that happened Uh before this was Jason Kidd. No, he was a joke. He was kind of a joke of the league. Yeah. Yeah. He's got an overcoming that, um, you know, that stereotype. But, Putting Chris Paul in a straitjacket is a smart decision. I don't know if it's a genius decision, but it was obviously the right one. So, yeah, I'll give him a little credit. I think my other part of the question is: Do, do the Suns? Because, like, you know, when an, an embarrassing thing happens in, in the NBA, you kind of like, how is this team going to address it? Well, we have to wait months for this team to address it. Like, are they going to make some major changes, or are they going to run it back with this team? That's the thing. I mean, talent-wise, I still don't understand how they lost that series. Yeah. I mean, it, it required awful shooting from their backcourt, their all-star backcourt, to, to lose this series in seven games. It required a plethora of turnovers in game three and then fouls in game four from Chris Paul. Like, he hit that 2-0 lead, and all of a sudden, his bike handle started wobbling going down that hill. Yeah. And he's just been crashing his way through the rest of the series. They need a sports psychiatrist more than they need <laughs> to make any significant roster changes. I mean, this team is currently assembled as championship caliber on paper. Yeah, it's true. But, I mean, Dr- Jay Crowder is a fraud. Uh, I think gonna- <laughs> Jay Crowder uh, belongs in the big three tonight. Uh, get, him, get him off my TV. I will say this. I'm happy. Maybe this means I can finally buy a Valley jersey. Everybody was mm. acting like the Suns jersey was like uh, like Ambrosia or something. Like it was the most <laughs> coveted. Like it was the damn the, the Ark of the Covenant or something. Dude, Jamel, I don't know if you knew this. I was talking to some people in like the vintage community, but apparently a bunch of thrift shops in Phoenix were putting premiums on the gear and, like, we're just upsetting people. So this is a little taste of their own medicine. I, I do like a little bit of the rede- like the, the revenge that's going on here, but it's, it is sad. The one, one thing I wanted to ask you guys about was also uh, Aiton didn't – like, he got benched. Mm-hmm. And then they ask Monty why, and he says it's internal. W- what does that mean? Well, people saying he talked back on the bench. It means it's um, all in his head. <laughs> he maybe just can't play him. He just doesn't trust – in his instincts, the mentality was wrong. I'm telling you, this, this is all head games with them. I feel like I just felt like this was, you know, they were a regular season great team. I don't know how head games, because I don't know how you get in your own head in the playoffs against the Mavs. We've never played in the yeah. playoffs, dog. CJ, when's yeah. the last That's time true. you was in the playoffs? <laughs> 
We were a bunch of talking heads, man. You were, you were in there. The Zog, you were in the Zog Sports Hollywood playoffs in 2019. I saw you, okay? You had an okay game. All right, let's not forget we also had another Game 7, um, Celtics, Bucks. Uh, I, it was all Celtics. Uh, it was pretty much all Celtics. Uh, it was Celtics versus Giannis. Um, Grant, the Grant Williams game, I guess is what, what we should call this. God damn. I was not talking about Grant Williams until these playoffs, uh, which seems to happen uh, a lot. What did you guys think of game seven, uh, Celtics bucks Celtics winning this and, and moving on to the conference finals? Jamel role players play good at home and Boston is the hardest place to play. In basketball history, <laughs> period. The, the cutaways yeah. to the fans made it seem like that, for sure. Yeah. They had the heat turned up, the floor. They probably put a waterbed underneath the court. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I can't knock it. And not only was the atmosphere tremendous, but, you know, we're talking about the ascension of a player into, like, legitimately into the top five conversation with the performance that Jason Tatum is putting on in this postseason. You know, first... He did it to KD and he did it to the Nets. And we talked about like how we felt about that and how we felt about Brooklyn. But I think all of us came into this series looking at the Bucks as a team that at least had a floor of the Eastern Conference Finals, even with the Middleton injury, simply because of how much of a monster Giannis is. And I mean, I think in this series, he became the only player ever to have 200 points, 100 rebounds and 50 assists in a series and caught Mm -hmm. the L. Like, this is the opposite of the Booker cp3 situation like Giannis can hold his head high on this he maybe just needs he got unlucky with the middleton injury and needs a little bit more help on the flank you know boston's supporting cast as jamel said you know they played out they showed out especially in game six and seven but damn this was a series i mean like, this is respect a great both series. teams for me i think chris mills improved his worth not being there you know yeah, I'm, in my head like 100%. i've been so pro middleton on this show on every basketball show but then when they walked over the bulls i was like well does he matter but it shows. Well, when, when Drew's shooting poorly, they definitely need another punch on the team. I, I want, should we talk about Grant Williams a little more? I think, like, yeah, it's, it's a lesson in perseverance. It's a lesson in, like, being publicly shamed and, like, just kind of pushing through it. But my thing, too, is, like, do we like this style of basketball where we have to shoot 55 threes to dominate a playoff game? Is that, like, do you guys just enjoy that? I mean, it just is what it is because I can't dunk. Yeah, that's the modern NBA. Because I can't dunk. It's like, okay, it's nice. I guess I could shoot a three, (laughs) potentially. So it's like, (laughs) it makes more sense when I look at it, but it makes the results so much more volatile. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're not hitting your threes, you lose. That's the bottom line. And if you are hitting your threes, playing a team that's not hitting their threes, these margins of victory can get real exaggerated. Well, it's also an answer to, I think, you know, Giannis just bullying down the lane and getting literally anything he wanted. All right, cool. He can do that. But you know what's worth more than that are threes. And they hit those. Yeah. And they won. And they started calling hooks on Giannis, too. They started to officiate him a little more tightly. And rightfully so. They look frustrated in that second half because, yeah, everything that everyone was complaining about with Giannis was happening. I think it's time to make three-pointers worth two and a half. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Scale it back. Do you think that Drew got kind of exposed a little bit in that series? Well, I mean, I think he was called up to be the second option, and they lost. So it's a fair question to ask. But they lost in seven, and game seven being as lopsided as it was, I suppose so, simply because they weren't able to put up, like, a better fight in the deciding game. 
But over the course of the seven games, he was inconsistent, I would yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think that he got, like, exposed as, like, being wholly unfit for the role. Yeah, that's true. You just wish he could have done it more consistently. The truth is, Boston has just been the best team in the league since the All-Star break. And it just mm-hmm. showed up. And they play good defense. And, yeah, I hate him. And, yeah, I'm tired <laughs> yeah. of of listening to Jason Tatum talk about how young he is in interviews. <laughs> But so what? They're they're just really good, and there's nothing I can do about that. Yeah, I, I remember people were like, oh, man, I can't believe the Celtics got the two seed. Why did they do that to themselves? And they've really proved to be the two seed. People, people at the house, stepped up. like, what do you mean you don't want the two seed? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what the fuck? Why wouldn't I want to be the two seed? Home games. Yeah, and like you said, that it is a pressure cooker in that. What is it called now? The TD Garden? Like, truly do not want to play yeah, there. the TD Garden. The hellscape. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you this, though. As a Knicks fan who hasn't won against the Miami Heat in like four years, three, four years now, I've, I've actually been to a couple of the games down in American Airlines, and that's a pretty tough place to play, too. Yeah. So I think this is going to be a really good series. <laughs> Have you guys noticed how late Heat fans show up to games? I feel like it's been this way for 15 years. Because, man, it's right. It's right after happy hour. Right. That's that's <laughs> honestly what it is. Like you're finishing your last drink. You're like, you're not gonna leave that twenty dollar yeah, margarita exactly, like half yeah. done, right? I'm at Wet Willie's. For this playoff game that I paid ten thousand dollars to go see <laughs> yeah. courtside. I'm gonna show up eight minutes into the first quarter. <laughs> For the people dropping ten grand, it's really like ten dollars. So they're like, ah, you know, we'll catch like three fourths of it. It'll be Is fine. it true? Are there nightclubs in the Heat arena? Are there like clubs you can hang out during halftime? Multiple clubs? I've heard that because yeah, Probably. you look at the stands after halftime <laughs> and people it's just empty. Yeah. That's true actually. <laughs> I don't know where they that, go. That would explain it. But that I can I can definitely confirm that they do vacate like almost <laughs> wholly uh at halftime and then come if back. If you go to concessions in uh the 217 section, Uncle Luke <laughs> is the serving up chicken tenders. <laughs> And that's where everybody is. This is not worth leaving. Yeah. Any predictions? Uh, maybe for Heat Celtics. God. Uh, I mean, it's either it's either Boston and six or Heat and seven. I mean, I think it's going to be some tough games. Yeah. That's all I can really see is like mm-hmm. these ain't going to be blowouts just because these are two teams that are very defensive minded. These are going to be low scoring. Yeah. These could be like '90s style basketball games. That's true. Like it, these these could be games that don't break a hundred like with regularity. And I'm really excited for that. We've seen Jason go up against offensive-minded cats with KD and Giannis. Now he's going to be locking up with Jimmy, whose main mm. purpose out there is to bring hell to whoever his assignment Ooh. is. He'll get some points along the way, but like I feel like Jimmy's main purpose out there, almost just like Draymond, Black Air Force energy, just like <laughs> he's out there to do as much damage to his assignment as possible, especially in the playoffs. What was the line he had at the end of the 76ers series? Tobias Harris over me? Oh, yeah. Oh, or was yeah. It- oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He does not right he does not drop grudges, man. He holds right. that shit. And I just got it, as you were saying, that I got excited for Jimmy in the garden. Like, he's mm. the type of guy, he wants to be that villain. He wants to prove people wrong. Um, him healthy is scary. And, and then plus having that team around him. And he's best friends with Mark Wahlberg. Oh, it's my a, God. We got the Wahlberger fans. Father Stu. He's going to go for 40 and say, that was for you, Father Stu. Oh, man, that's going to be great. Um, yeah, I, yeah I, I, think, um, I think it's Miami and six. 
I think it's Miami and six. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm with you guys. I think Miami's just shooting a little too. I like Struce is like wildly inconsistent. I feel like he was really cold for half the playoffs. And if they play Duncan Robinson, maybe they'll shoot with uh, Boston, but they may not have to. I think they will. I think they will need Robinson in this series. I think they'll need his shooting to keep up with the Celtics offense. But it's just amazing that they've gotten this far while sitting such a major piece and contract for that matter of their team and like continuing to thrive. Like we had a lot of questions and even on this show, we asked a lot of questions about Miami's depth and they've answered it. It's really been incredible to watch them run. And I think even more impressive than the talent on Miami is the mindset. They are a bunch of dogs. Yes. And Tyler Hero. Like Tyler Hero's not one of them. He's been accepted he's by them. He goes dog at home. Yeah. When he's in Miami, he's like, yeah, what's up? It's like very yeah. like when a guy picks like is starting a fight and his friends are holding him back. <laughs> that's Tyler Hero at home. He's talking the most shit. He's the most aggressive. But then in Boston, I expect him to disappear. Yeah, I think, well, I was going to say with the time off in between series, I feel like PJ Tucker has taken Tyler into like the dog dojo (laughs) and just imparting. But it is like there is going to be a part of it where like Tyler Hero is going to go out there and try to be the dog. And like the the, the heat bench is going to be laughing like, oh, that's cute. He's going to be and then Jimmy's. Jimmy and, uh, and and Bam are going to go in and do work, and it's not going to matter. But, yeah, th- that's the thing. is like you were talking about Duncan Robinson not even being a factor in that last series. I'd be like, you bring him in to hit shots against his team, their defense is fine, um, you know, against the Celtics, I think. Um, I think it's almost like <laughs> with a Peyton Pritchard on the floor, put Duncan on. I think Duncan's is is uh, canceling that out and, and overcompensating. So uh, I'm excited to see what they do. As long as they don't play Kyle Lowry a ton, I think that he got it. Yeah, chance. I think the less they play him, the, the better chance Miami actually has. For sure. Um, and then <laughs> Agreed. Phoenix Golden State, any... Any predictions on that one? Man, you know what? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you, see, wait, 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 dude. you see what you just did? Dallas going to say Oh, man. <laughs> I, I guess I'm saying Warriors in seven. I think the Mavs have a shot, but the the Warriors, are they, they got to be, they're salivating. What a matchup. Warriors in five. I think this is an absolute jackpot mm-hmm. for the Warriors and being the championship uh, contending mindset team that they are. They're not going to drop the ball on it. They're not going to make it an interesting series. I think you let Luca go ham and you bottleneck everyone else, and that's how you eliminate the Mavericks. I hope it happens just so they get ran over by exactly. Boston. Yeah. I hope Boston <laughs> just dump trucks them in the finals. Yeah. I can't have Boston teams winning the finals. That's why we're going for Miami. I understand. I understand. <laughs> I, I'm with Jamel. I think uh, I, I want them to have a gimme to, to have them slip up in the finals, and then I think every game's close, but probably Golden State in five or six. Why are you guys so sure that they'll slip up in the finals, though? Because look at who they've been playing. Yeah, because Boston (laughs) is actually the best team. That's just, I'm just basing it off that, that feeling. I'm with you guys, but the question I keep wondering, who who does guard Luka? Like, can this is a question of, like, can Luka score 50 every night and win these games? Because who is Draymond, baby. They're going to put Draymond, they're going to send... Yeah, he'll get in foul trouble because of him. One, Draymond. And two, I honestly think that Luka can go straight LeBron in those finals against the Warriors mode. Yep. I think that he can have, like, otherworldly games and lose. Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. I, I think he can go the way of Giannis in this series. Yeah. It's going to it's gonna take the role players and the supporting cast on Dallas, you know, continuing to show out. I just don't think that they're going to be able to keep up with the Warriors shooting. But the Warriors do have to shoot because yeah. they put together some clunkers so far. But hopefully it's out their system. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, Clay Thompson was not Clay Thompson. Like, who know? I you know what? I'm gonna say here that Clay figures it out in this series, and that that honestly makes me feel like they won't get trucked in the finals. That they have a genuine, um, can be genuine contenders for that title. So, because guys, this is very close to the best Warriors team when they're healthy and and, mm-hmm. and humming. So, um, yeah, I'm just sitting here like, who's eliminating Golden State? Hey, Luca, Luca, if you're listening, wear a cup. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. All right, so the conference finals of the NBA playoffs are upon us. We've got the Eastern Conference Finals. They begin tonight, Tuesday evening in Miami, and the Western Finals kickoff in San Francisco tomorrow night. So in the East, we got Boston Celtics, participants in exactly half of the East Finals in NBA history, and then we got Miami Heat, who are the conference's uh, top seed this season and the victor of this exact matchup in the 2020 bubble playoffs. In the West, we got the Mavericks, surprising victors over the top-seeded Phoenix Suns. I feel like they want us to stop talking about that game seven. Uh, and they're led by Luka Doncic, uh, and they're going against the Golden State Warriors, who have yet, I think, in our opinion, uh, to play their best basketball yet in these playoffs. But any point, uh, these Mavs could be the dangerous team that, that topples them. So here to help us dig into these series and give us a, a preview, we've got Chris Herring, NBA writer at Sports Illustrated and author of the New York Times bestseller, Blood in the Garden, Chris, man, welcome to Take Line. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I really appreciate you guys having me. How are you all? Man, I'm doing I'm doing so dang good. Also, <laughs> CJ, great job. I, hey, kudos. It was a mouthful. I mean, but we got we got two really good matchups. Um, Chris, which of these matchups are you most looking forward to? Like, what what, what do you think is going to be the more compelling series out of the two? Um, I mean, to be quite honest with you, I think it's the the Dallas Golden State series. Uh, I normally tend to lean toward the east just because i think uh i don't know maybe it's like a just a subconscious bias just being kind of an an eastern conference part of the country um but a lot of times you know the east would play tougher defense harder defense than what you saw in the west i don't know if that's necessarily true now but you know that celtics uh buck series was kind of more my speed as far as an element of physicality plenty of talent plenty of skill um you generally see a little bit more of that in the east than you do in the west so um but all that said, I think that Dallas, as you mentioned, kind of in just teeing all this up, it was a little bit surprising that they won the Phoenix series to begin with. Maybe not after you got past game four and you saw that, you know, depending on where the game was played, that they could hold their own. And obviously, even once it didn't matter where the game was being played with the game seven outcome, uh, Dallas is not the team that so many people have kind of thought of them as being, where they don't have a Mikhail Bridges necessarily. They don't have uh, necessarily a Draymond Green in, in the post as far as 
defense is concerned, but they have enough. And I think they're more than the sum of their parts defensively, um, obviously to throw a wrench in what Phoenix was doing, the historic level of offense that Phoenix was playing um, kind of leading up basically to this series. Uh, you take that into account, you take into account, like look at the numbers and look at the, the film on what they did with golden state this year, Steph Curry, his worst three point percentage of the season against any team was against Dallas. Um, and Dallas outscored golden state from three and three of the four games they played. They also won three of the four games they played against golden state this year. So their defense kind of was responsible for a lot of what made them so good this year. It's very easy to look at Luca, uh, obviously, but I do think that there's something to be said for their defense and something that makes stuff a little bit more difficult for Golden State, not to mention that their offense is going to put Golden State in plenty of rotations uh, the same way they did with Chris Paul, maybe in a way that will wear out Jordan Poole, wear out Klay Thompson, will wear out Steph Curry. So um, I'm really looking forward to watching that. It's part of why I picked them to win the series over Golden State. Mm. I'm, I'm very intrigued to kind of see what happens. I mean, I, I, I could feel that. I mean, it all comes down to making threes. I think every team, it's you make threes or you don't. But when I think about Dallas, they need threes the most. And they got capable dudes. You know, Reggie Bullock, he can get hot as anybody in the world. And he's like, what, the, the fourth or fifth option on that team? How do they win if the threes aren't going down? I, I think you circle back to what I was talking about before, their defense. They gave up the least threes in the league, less than 11 a game. They were surrendering 32% from three, which was a top three rate in the league. I mean, Steph, you know, we can call it a small sample size. I, I was, I mentioned this in my newsletter. The last time that uh, I really remember people kind of looking at the numbers as it related to Steph with a, a matchup where someone was kind of, I won't say getting the best of Steph Curry, but someone that was, playing well enough to really hold their own where you're like, oh, wow, this is well below Steph's numbers, generally speaking. Is there something to this? It was Fred Van Vliet back in 2019 when they were playing in the finals. His numbers stacked up very well against Steph's as far as how he defended Steph one-on-one, uh, how many points per 100 possessions Steph was scoring against the Raptors during the season. That was before we thought of Fred Van Vliet as kind of a close to elite defender in the NBA. Uh, you know, he was kind of a borderline starter at that point, you know, kind of platooning along with Kyle Lowry, playing alongside Kyle Lowry. He's a physical, you know, kind of stout dude, kind of like one of those fire uh, fire hydrant sort of stocky builds that he has. And, and to some extent, that's kind of not necessarily what Luca is as a defender, but I just kind of feel like it, it, it's going to be a little bit more difficult than Steph is used to. At least that's what we saw this season. Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock, I think, hold, held Steph to four for 15 when they were defending him this year during the regular season. And we'll see what happens with everybody else. I, I think it's mostly a question of whether the Mavs can stay attached and not lose sight of guys. Obviously, the, the Warriors set so many screens in weird places and have everybody from Steph to Kevon Looney setting them. It's a much different sort of assignment to try to guard them than it is Phoenix. But I, I do think that the possibility is there. And when we ask, how will Dallas score enough? I actually think we need to be putting that question more toward Golden State a little bit based on what we saw during the season. And the fact that Dallas successfully kind of held them down from a three-point standpoint, including Steph. Yeah, I mean, so you, you had mentioned that against a team like the Grizzlies, they got off to an incredibly slow start in a bunch of those games. Um, and, and we don't think, you know, you're saying you can't do that against the Mavs. 
Do we need to see Clay return to normal? Or what are some other factors that you need the Warriors to show that they weren't showing the past series uh, for them to win this series against the Mavs? I mean, I think part of it is actually in a very different sort of looking way, but it's the same problem is how are you going about stopping the head of the snake? Um, and that was why we saw them struggle to put away Memphis at the beginning of the series is they they couldn't guard John Morant worth the damn. Uh, I mean, he... Steve Kerr, as much as I like him, uh, was really, really, really reluctant to start putting a second guy anywhere near the ball. And Ja was, you know, using that to score 40, 35 points a game in the first couple games of the series. Okay, so Luca's not Ja Morant. He's not going to float around you and, and, and you know, like speed past you necessarily and hang in the air. But he's still Luca, and he's still capable and, you know, basically averages what Jaw was doing over the first couple games, at least in the playoffs. So the question becomes like, who are you using to guard him? And you hear plenty about Andrew Wiggins being the one to take that assignment. I'm sure he will be at times. Uh, Luca didn't struggle with him during the season. If anything, it was the other way around the one game, the season where, uh, where Wiggins fouled out was against Dallas. Um, and I mean, obviously golden state has, an ace in the hole, if you want to call it that, but I don't think you want to use Draymond Green early in games. You may not want to use Draymond at all to defend Luca, uh, just because I mean, Luca can certainly draw foul trouble. Luca's a, a big physical guy, and not to mention, if you have to bring Draymond that far up in your coverage, you don't have kind of your quarterback manning the back line anymore from a defensive standpoint. Gary Payton would be a really, really good player to have for a series like this. Would he lock down Luca? No, I think Luca shot like 80% against him in five, five or six shots this year. So not automatic that he'd stop him, but it would be nice to have another body. It would be nice to have another guy that has enough physicality to at least hold his own at times. Uh, Andrew Wiggins does not strike me as, as the most capable of doing that, but neither does Jordan Poole. Clay Thompson is still rounding back into form from that standpoint. Steph is not that guy. I mean, he, he can, you know, possession here or there. Um, so it's going to be difficult. And I, I I think that's kind of the biggest question looming here for Golden State is, okay, Jaw was tearing you up. Um, the series became a little bit easier. I know the games were tight at times. And obviously Memphis won the one game by like 90 points. But obviously it's an easier defense to defend when Jaw is not out there. So how do you go about guarding Luka? Because they really don't have a great person at, you know, point of attack sort of person with Gary Payton out. Um, so that that's the key thing I'm looking at here from Golden State standpoint is like, who are you using on that assignment? And when Luka inevitably gets it going, which he will because it's Luka, what are you doing to try to slow him down? Uh, what's more likely? Draymond Green and St- Steve Kerr get into it on the sideline when Draymond asks to check Luka one-on-one or Draymond kicking Luka in the nuts. <laughs> uh it's one of those it's like that meme it's like why not both uh i could i mean i could see both things happening i look if if it gets to a point where he's doing that much damage i could see draymond putting his hand up to go play defense on him and kerr wanting him to do that i just think that um if that comes across too early in the game or too early in the series the other thing it has the potential to do is really wear draymond down and i don't know that you want to do that uh I mean, he was pretty honest in saying that that kind of warmed down a little bit when he was defending Jokic. Now, you didn't have as many options 
you know, in, in that situation, you kind of had to use Draymond. I don't think you could feel comfortable putting Kevon Looney or anybody else that far out on the perimeter against him. Um, but he, you know, he came out of the series just kind of singing Jokic's praises, and Jokic had a lot of praise for him as well because that's a big dude, and he he has a lot of skill that's not common at that position. Luca's obviously the same thing, just at a different spot, and someone that handles the ball even more than Jokic does. So Draymond might be capable. I, I mean, I, I don't love the idea of asking him to do that for 30 minutes a game. And again, if if he's the one that's going to be doing that, I could imagine that at a certain point, you're not normally looking to target Draymond because he's just too great a defender. But if you can get him in foul trouble um, and you can take away that anchor for them, um, I could see them trying to target that at a certain point if he's already got three, four fouls in a game. Gentlemen, I got three words for you. Otto Porter Jr., the people's champ. <laughs> He's been good for him. I don't know. We'll we'll see. It'll be interesting. I I mean, I just kind of feel like Luca. Maybe I'm thinking too much about Otto's uh, frame. I mean, he's he's a much better defender than I think he gets credit for. But man, like I just think a lot of the guys on that team. I think Wiggins is like that too, to some extent, where it's just like the frame doesn't seem like it would hold up enough to, to guard somebody like Luca. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, it'll be really fascinating because of all this. I think, you know, what the biggest theme obviously here is is defense. I think in both series, too. You, you go to, you know, Celtics Heat. Um, and just even just taking a look at the names alone, uh, you got Marcus Smart. You got the Jimmy Butler, P.J. Tucker. You know, I, I, I'm seeing a lot of talk in, in, on Twitter of these series kind of being akin to the 90s. And you wrote Blood in the Garden. You talked about, you know, uh, the physicality of the Knicks and just these, you know, I don't want to call them violent, but you can call they them are hard fought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was physical. Do you think there's accuracy to that statement um, that we're, we're potentially looking at these series that are very reminiscent of, of the 90s uh, on both, in both conferences? No, I mean, I, 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 what I'll say... Well, well, we'll see. I, I think that there's some potential for that with the uh, with the Miami Boston matchup, just because you've got such great defenses playing against each other. Um, and, and granted, I mean, I guess you have two top six to top seven defenses with with uh, Dallas and Golden State as well. I, I don't think there's physical necessarily. Yeah, Boston and Milwaukee was really physical, even for somebody like me that had really gone back and had to watch those games probably more than I would have liked. And, you know, having to analyze and write about those teams, talk to those guys more than, you know, than I ever had before. Uh, that did, that reminded me of like as, as recent of a 90s sort of portrayal as we've seen um, where the refs didn't even seem to really know exactly how to call it. Everything was being reviewed because everything looked brutal. I think it started to play in the guys flopping a little bit more towards the end of the series because everybody was falling anyway. And there were plays where you'd see three and four guys on the ground. Uh, and obviously we, we all saw the image of Giannis just bleeding from his eye. Uh, so it was really physical. I don't, I don't know that I would put all of the series so far and all the situations we've seen on that level. But uh, I, I do think just the physicality that Miami brings that they play with that kind of their MO and obviously Riley's influence and, and Riley's stamp being on that team. There is some of that. And I think Boston, just based on what we just saw at this last series with Milwaukee, there is some of that. Is Boston going to get any second chance points in this series? Like I, in my head, Miami is the best rebounding team left in the playoffs. Am I just making that up or is that facts? <laughs> I mean, it'll be difficult for them. Uh, I mean, for all sorts of reasons, 
not the least of which is obviously that, you know, that Boston is going to play with lineups that um, are, that can space the floor just to kind of create more space and more driving room for Brown and Tatum. Um, one thing that will be interesting and gives them the potential for a little bit more from that standpoint is, okay, Robert Williams, we assume, is back. Uh, I think bone bruises are a little bit more serious than most people realize or that they can be or more painful. Um, but Ime Yudoka, and I think this was a really interesting kind of uh, thing to, to say out loud, was saying that um, Robert Williams could have played in Game 7. They said he was available, but Robert Williams basically, Ime Yudoka said, I held him out just because I kind of felt like that was what we should do. Um, meaning that, you know, if you read between the lines of it, plus minus wise, they were a lot better with Robert Williams off the court in that series. He could have a role in a series like this, particularly if you feel like you're getting beat on the glass, particularly if you're feeling like you're not going to get second chances, but you want to. He's a really good person to plug in a situation like that. He's also healthier than he was in the last series. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think that anyone's expecting Boston to come away with a whole lot of second chance points in this series, but I do think that Robert Williams gives them the potential for more, and I think that he could have a much bigger role in the series because of that. Let's talk about Jason Tatum. Now, I feel like several years people were like, oh, Tatum has arrived. He's arrived. For some reason, still now it's up for debate. Like, this is his ascension. He is now top five. Like, we're even saying he's top five now. How do you feel um, about that label? Um, and how do you feel just in general about sort of his postseason this year? Um, and do you think he's he's a star player? Because I feel like in a lot of games where he doesn't step up, um, we see a Jalen Brown. And there's been even conversation of this is Jalen Brown's team. Um, do you feel like this is officially Tatum's team um, and it is up to him to sort of close out these series and and take them to the finals? Yeah, I mean, I think we're I think we're past that conversation now as far as two things. One, whose team it is. I think Tatum is you know, kind of the superstar of the team. And if there is one, it's him. I think it'd be hard to, you know, to make the argument that Jalen Brown is a guy, particularly now that we've seen Tatum really have an influence on Kevin Durant's ability to score. Um, and, you know, not that he was doing it by himself, but there were several possessions each game where he was taking on that role by himself and doing a good job with it. Um, and so once you get past that, you look at the steps that Tatum has made as a passer, certainly as a one-on-one defender. And I think that we all could acknowledge that he's got a little bit more to his game from a one-on-one standpoint and just the the willingness to kind of pull pull up and, and take a shot with someone right in his face in certain moments. Uh, it's it's gotten pretty difficult to kind of say where Jalen Brown would have the, the room to say that he's that guy. Um, you know, maybe if you want, you could say 1A, 1A, 1B, but I don't even know that it's that close anymore. Um, so that's fine. But I, I think we've moved past that. And I think this you know, this stretch of season for them and this postseason run for them to knock off the defending champs. Um, we've obviously also moved past the idea of like, do you need to split them up? Which was a conversation that was happening um, midway through the season. It's kind of hard to believe that it was. Uh, but I mean, this is a team that not only those guys being really influential, really important, but the rotation that they have, um, which was deep enough to take out a team like Milwaukee, granted shorthanded, and, and granted Giannis uh, playing his butt off, but I mean, that's what this sort of team is supposed to do with Grant Williams and Al Horford and Peyton Pritchard doing what he did. And really, you know, a really key piece of the last two games in that series, Derek White, someone that they traded for. Um, so this is a team that I think just kind of gels and fits perfectly. Marcus Smart, obviously, obviously a big part of it too. And the ability to do it without Robert Williams or realizing that Robert Williams maybe wasn't a great fit for that, but having somebody else 
that you can go to to space the floor to get seven threes out of a Grant Williams in a game seven or 30 points out of Al Horford in a game, what was it, four or game five. So, um, you know, I, I think we're past the conversation of whose team it is. I think Tatum is that guy. Um, but I don't think that if, if you're going to be making runs to the title or the conference finals every year, which that could be their future now, um, then hopefully you would hope guys aren't that worried about the titles and the the titles of whose team it is. Um even as we're hearing about Kyrie Irving saying that he regrets kind of not speaking to LeBron and the way all that stuff broke down in Cleveland, it, it doesn't make sense to get into that if titles, championships are on the table, potentially. You just want to go out and figure that out. I just want to remind all of us of, I feel like there was a time this season where packages, including Jalen Brown, were being discussed sure. for Ben Simmons. There were. And I just, I'm disgusted at this point of, remembering talk of these two being split up to like uh, an incredible duo at their age, like you said, could be the future of this league for the, uh, for the, the league, the conference for the next five, 10 years. I mean, tested bro. They've been together for like five years. Yeah. It takes a minute guys. It takes like, that's what we all need to remember. Yeah, and it takes Tatum's got the ruffles deal. Stuff puts pressure on you. Yes. Yeah. Stuff puts pressure on you when you, when you're talking about contracts of that size, patience, I'm already seeing this, and I think it's just a part of us being relatively young and and very much online all the time. Um, Somebody, you know, there was the the drum beat last week after Philly got eliminated the way they did, and people saying, you know, is Doc coming back? You know, it's weird because you you feel like fan bases are trying to play hot potato with Doc, where the Lakers fans on Twitter don't want him, the Sixers fans certainly don't want him, and. You know, they're waiting for the end of season press conference from Daryl Morey and Doc to figure out, is he coming back? And it's like, you do realize the guy is owed $8 million a year for the next three years. <laughs> and you do realize that NBA owners, for all the money they have, are very, very cheap. Like, they're not going to let a championship caliber, and by that I mean someone that literally has won a championship as a coach. I know the roster he had when he did it, but he won a championship as a coach. He's had other teams very close to that before. Um I don't think you're just ousting the dude after two years, particularly when the team was shorthanded and Bede missed two games of the series. Harden played like ass. Like we're not multiple things can be true at once. Maybe someone didn't do the best job coaching, but unless you can pin something solely on doc, I don't think it's going to happen. And and as I was saying that on Twitter, you know, Knicks fans were like, well, what do you think about Thibodeau? I'm like the guy that won coach of the year last year. Like, I don't think that the Knicks are just going to fire the dude after one bad year, um, even though it was a rough year. It was a bad year. But the clock on so much of this stuff has sped up for so many fans, and I don't think they realize it. And I don't think that they realize that sometimes things take a while to work out. Sometimes you have a year where you take a step back. I was one of the – I was really, I think, one of the only people I, I really saw out there saying that I really expected the Hawks to struggle this year for exactly that reason. The growth is not always linear when you're talking about young players and young teams that have like a really surprising run out of nowhere. So they they end up being the eighth seed and getting in, you know, the, the last moment. But that that's just kind of how stuff works is that we're so used to just kind of expecting growth and expecting a certain type of growth. And if you have a breakout moment, the next game has to be that way, too. And it doesn't always work that way. And um, and so, you know, Boston is a very good example of how that comes to pass. And I think also look at, you know, they, they had really good growth at the beginning. Tatum and Brown were part of that team that almost made it to the finals with Kyrie, not even in the lineup uh, several years back. And 
you know, so it doesn't always happen in exactly the order that you think, but uh, that would not have been reason to break them up as we're now learning. I'm glad you guys mentioned Philly. Uh, let's talk for a quick second about the greatest player in Sixers history, Jimmy Butler. What is his impact on this series going to be? We know what Tatum is. He's probably the best guy just skill-wise in this series, but how can Jimmy neutralize the duo that is Brown and Tatum? We'll see. It's going to be a lot of work uh, for him to do that. What I'm really curious to see as we talk about that is as he tries to do that, and that's going to be a lot of work for him, and obviously he'll he'll trade off those roles. I imagine P.J. Tucker will be involved, you know, in, in, in terms of trying to stop guys. Bam will obviously get switched on to those guys as well. So it'll be interesting to watch it because it won't be just his responsibility. But what I really want to see, and I think one of my biggest questions for the series is, does Kyle Lowry return for this series? If he does, how does he look? What does he have in the tank? If he doesn't, or if he's not good, what does Oladipo bring to the table? Because Oladipo is really kind of a savior for them in some ways. Um, hell, you know, at the end, we were watching him lock up James Harden. Um, not not just that, but also, you know, giving you 15, 20 points a game, which is a lot to ask for for someone that wasn't even in the rotation at the end of the season. Um Vic is is certainly a skilled, talented dude who's just been banged up the last few years with all the injuries. But the reason I bring all that up is if Victor isn't great, or if I'm sorry, if Victor isn't great, or if Kyle Lowry really can't go or isn't himself, if Butler's got the same strain on him from a scoring standpoint that he did in the last series, where you're asking him to go for 35 and 40, that's a whole lot to ask of Jimmy when you're also going to be asking him to help lock up two of the elite wing scorers in the East in the league, really, it's probably too much to ask of him. I think you could get away with it in the last series because Philly, as we saw with Harden really didn't have a wing score that was really going to test Jimmy like that. Um, Harden did not look right or was not, you know, his elite self the way we've seen before. So Butler could kind of focus more from a scoring standpoint and mostly everybody else was kind of perimeter based. Uh, so, you know, and the hardest work Jimmy had to do was to try to front and bead, which after a while they had to stop, go away from that because it really wasn't working. So it was a different type of work. It wasn't running around the perimeter, trying to get around screens the way you're going to have to do with Tatum and Brown. So I don't know what that looks like for Jimmy. Um, I'm hoping for his sake and for Miami's sake that uh, they can trade off that responsibility enough to where it's not just his. And I'm hoping that he doesn't have to go for 35 in this series just because I think it would be too much to ask of him. He, I think he can do it. We've seen him try to do it before in the finals a couple of years ago, but I don't think it bodes very well for them if he has to do that. I think Oladipo being as good as he was last series would be huge just for kind of protecting Butler's body and, and kind of his um, his energy in the series. Okay, who you got? Who you got? Yeah, you got to give us who you got. You got Mavs in the West, right? I, I've got both uh, the Mavs in six, and I've got the Celtics in six for this series. Wow. And then in the finals, who would you take? I have no idea. I have not thought that far ahead. Uh, <laughs> I feel like even this morning was just trying to watch some film to put together a piece for my newsletter. I I can be really honest in saying I haven't thought about who I would have in the finals or when we get there, is everybody even healthy, you know, for what we were just talking about with how physical stuff is in the East. So I'll, you know, I'll take a rain check on that as far as picking that. But I, I do think it's intriguing just to look at if Dallas can make it there, um, how different they are and and what they look like and um, 
who's going to stop Luca? Which I, I think that's kind of the question you would have for anybody in any series. But Boston, Boston and Miami would be better equipped than most teams to try. So um, I don't know who I'd pick, but it would be really fascinating to watch Dallas get there and then watch either of those two teams try to defend them. I got to ask one last one for my guys in Wizard Nation. When we get the ninth pick again tonight, <laughs> will we get the ninth pick for the rest of human history? Yes or no? <laughs> No, I, I think over time something will change. Uh, Knicks fans ask me that question all the time about will they ever uh, move up in the draft because I don't think they have ever before in the draft lottery era, um, which a lot of people view as like, a, oh, well, this is how you know that the the first lottery was rigged because you know they're they're doing everything they can to hold the Knicks down now to make sure they never ever ever get a first uh, pick again. So no, it, it will not be permanent. We may not live to see it. Uh, between hey. the Wizards and the Knicks uh, at this rate, but I do I do trust that, assuming the NBA goes for a long, long time past you know past our lifetimes, possibly the Wizards at some point will will not be locked in number nine. That's all I need to hear. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Chris, thank you so much, man. Everyone, go read his book, Blood in the Garden. Read him on Sports Illustrated and on Twitter. Chris, thank you so much for joining Take Line. Enjoy these series. Thanks, man. You guys too. Thank you for having me. Thank you. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. As the NBA playoffs roll on and continue to be mid, a true basketball savant knows that the WNBA season also started last week and there is no shortage of headlines surrounding the women's game. Here to keep us locked in, one of the greats, the WNBA host for Buckets, the YouTube show. She's got her own podcast called Spinsters, which she is the co-host. She is also the host of the Jordan Brand series, Take It From L.A., on it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Jordan Liggins. Welcome to Take Line, Jordan. Thank you so much. Great intro. I, I'm so happy to be here. Come on, man. I, I practice. <laughs> I was in the, my bathroom mirror for two hours. I appreciate you it. You sent me tapes. Wow. I did. I'm honored. You crushed that, Jamel. Voice memo. With it. Thanks, bros. Appreciate y'all, man. How you doing? I'm great. I'm great. I'm so happy to talk about the W. It's been so fun so far. I hope you would all agree. Oh, yeah. Has been great. I've been having a blast yeah. as a Mystics fan. You already know. You're I'm, real happy. I'm loving it more than McDonald's. <laughs> but, you know, some tough stuff going on. Brittany Griner, mm-hmm. uh, we finally saw a picture of her for the first time in like three months yeah. on Friday. Had a court appearance in Russia. Uh, looking, looking, looks bleak. It does. Um, I don't know. Your initial thoughts. I mean, it's been like 90 days. It has been 90 days. I think that's just alarming um seeing that picture just broke my heart I think you just can't help but feel for her and we know Brittany Griner as this bubbly 
like bright person. She's always smiling. She's always cracking jokes on the court. So to see her with a hoodie on, head down and handcuffs, it just doesn't sit right with my soul. Like it's just not right. Um, And the story and her case is, you know, evolving as we speak, I feel like. But the latest that I read was, you know, they're thinking of a trade, a uh, a trade with a Russian prisoner here in the U.S. for her. Um, other, you know, experts are saying that's not a good idea because then this could just be a trend that Russia will continue to capture Americans and be wanting to trade. So I don't know how this is in our basketball talks like this doesn't this is not prepped for a WNBA reporter to be prepped on foreign affairs this is wild that's yeah that I'm trying every every little piece of this I'm like reading about trying to understand and this trade and uh, to me it's because a lot of people are coming out and saying like hey if this was LeBron James if this was another male athlete like this would be uh this story would have been done months ago and Mm -hmm. to me it almost it represents how Um, we treat black women, how we treat, you know, women's sports, how, um, you know, it's just, it's representing a lot of, um, issues. How, how do you see this ending? What needs to change? Um, and again, I hate, it's tough. Like we want to talk basketball, but I'm almost asking you how do we like fix the world for what we thought was common sense. But over the last few years, it's like people don't have common sense anymore. and, And this is just all fucked up. It really is. And I love that you said that, CJ, because the biggest thing that is so troubling about all of this is we're asking America to protect a black queer woman when she is overseas, when we don't feel protected here. Like, you know, that's that's such a hard thing to tackle. There's layers to it of race and and gender, but there's also layers of okay, if she was actually getting paid what she's worth, there's no need for her to be in Russia in the first place. A lot of people don't understand she was there to get the bag. Like she was playing overseas because they actually pay her. So she had to be there. She wasn't just there on vacation. She was working. Um, So there's layers to that. And then how I see this ending, I, I just want her to be home. Like she missed her wife's graduation. Her wife is now a lawyer, which is so ironic. Um, And she's missing huge parts of her life because she is wrongfully detained over there. And all we can do is right now it feels very um, helpless. Like I don't know what I could be doing. I don't know if I should be calling someone. I don't know if there is anything that we can do. It seems like it is only the White House that can make that decision and bring her home. Um, and that's just a sucky feeling. Like there's never, I wish there was like a point of action. Here are all the things that we can do as fans to bring Brittany home. Um, but for right now, we have her initials on the basketball court. Like we're, we have buttons. We are sending good vibes. Sometimes it just feels like that's not enough, but our hands are tied. I don't, I don't know what we can do. And that's the frustrating part. Anything short of being LL Cool J in NCIS Los Angeles feels, (laughs) I don't, I just don't know neither. I mean, and when I, it really when they when they released the first guy, um, a U.S. Marine Trevor Reed, mm-hmm. 
I had no idea he was in Russia for three years. It really put things into a crazy perspective. Yeah. Like, and they're making it seem like she could be home soon, relatively. And that who knows what that even looks like? A month, a couple months. I say make the trade. Who cares if this guy's an arms dealer? So they're saying they want to trade for this guy. What's his name? Victor Boot? Victor Bout? Yeah. Whatever, man. Let him go yeah. over there. We're as long good. as we're not giving him any more money, take his stupid ass home. Bring Brittany home. Bring Brittany back. Yeah. End, End of story. story. Exactly. And, and connecting this back to like to basketball, it does affect, you know, she was over there, like you said, because, you know, a WNBA player needs to take on almost several jobs. And, the there was you know there's all there's always a fight to get people more people to watch the WNBA right and now mm. there's a person detained and like when you bring them over and it it gets down to like paying these players and the WNBA itself isn't doing their own players any favors, um, right? Do you know do you think this situation is going to have an effect on how the league takes care of its players? I would hope so. I really hope so. I think it 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 is shining a not good light on the WNBA, if you ask me. Because once people start digging and and people who aren't fans of the game are are asking those questions, like, wait, why is she over there? Wait, yeah. she's making how much here and how much over there? Like, once those questions are starting to get beyond WNBA circles, it's not looking good for the WNBA. And to me, I'm worried about the the players who you know Russia's like hey I do have a shiny contract come play over here and they're like I don't know if I want to go play overseas anymore like I'm scared that that has to be an effect of all of this as well yeah uh and you know stop it with the commercial flights while we're at it I mean it's crazy we got it's like every team's got a star with COVID right now because they're flying commercial isn't that ins- listen to what you just said? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, <laughs> that statement. <laughs> I, you know, I was thinking it's twenty five years, right? It's been twenty five years, and I was thinking about the NBA at twenty five years. Mm-hmm. NBA at twenty five is like what early seventies. Mm-hmm. No one cared, but there also were no, no televisions. Mm-hmm. Like half the people in TV, half the people in America had a TV at this point in the NBA's history. And the NBA's biggest issue was that the ABA was more fun and they could fight and be on drugs. The WNBA's biggest issue is just like straight up disrespect and like wage gaps. Yeah. It's like crazy. I don't know what to make of it, but I do, I could see this affecting the international game in a way where maybe even... Like women who wouldn't come to America are coming here to get out of the way of some international incidents. Maybe mm-hmm. we get some higher quality. Maybe we, maybe this forces the league to add some more teams. Yeah, I was yeah. like, we got to have some spots for them if they come, because then it's it's so many, it's so limited spots right now, and that's all the rage of you know you see really high caliber players getting waived. Um, Crystal Dangerfield sticks out because she was rookie of the year two years ago uh, and she gets waived. That's like if Ja got waived this season like that. I have to always put it in perspective of of that, of those terms. She's so good still um, and she's not currently on a roster. So there are so many conversations. People are saying there should be a G League for the W. They need to add, you know, a couple more teams. It's a WNBA kind of put out a statement 
kind of, that they will add a few more teams in a few years just to kind of give a blanket statement. Uh, no promises. Yeah. But um, I think they we just add a couple roster spots and keep them as practice players, like allow them to develop on a team, throw them some money um, because the the option, if you get waived, you're just like, in my mind, they're just floating in the WNBA abyss until another team needs them. But there's no other seasons are happening right now. They can't go play anywhere else. Well, let's talk about the fun of basketball. I know the good things. You, you have such a bubbly personality and we're like opening up the questions with just like, again, foreign affairs and uh, respecting women. Like uh, the WNBA, the, the league kicked off last week. Um, what are some first impressions? What do you, who are you excited about? Um, yeah, just let's talk basketball a little bit here. Yeah. Yeah. That's the fun <laughs> part. That's the fun part. Um, well, Jamal, your mystics are looking good. They're looking good. Come on. Where'd you have them in the preseason? Don't lie. I had question uh, marks around if uh, Alicia Clark would be healthy, but now she's back so and soon. she's still not. She's she's not. She's like, she's still not. She's not. That's that's a work in progress. But they are doing like a Kawhi load management with Elena Deladon, which makes me very yeah. happy. So by the playoffs, she will, she'll be looking good. She looks good while she's out there now, but yeah. That's true. And I, I'm, I'm glad to see she's not traveling. I mean, come on, man. They're making them fly Spirit Airlines. <laughs> Ain't nobody like, don't do it. You know what I mean? Because every year... Every year, Elena has an MVP caliber year, but by the time they get to the finals, she is broken into several pieces. <laughs> Face mask, double knee brace, got the big airbags like Steph on the ankles. Be crazy. Yes, yes. I think Dallas looks good. I, oh, I think yeah. my league pass alert, mm. the Dallas Wings, folks. They have the best player in the league. Arika Agumawale is the best women's basketball player Period. Ooh. Maya Moore 2.0. She goes nuts. She put us in the dirt in D.C., which is hard to do. Very hard to win at ESA. I saw her hit, what, like four straight threes? Yeah. She, she's, she's a crazy. dog. Like, she is one of my she's one of my favorite players. I will shout from the rooftops of watching Arike Gumbawale. She's so, so good. And now she has help. Like, she's been good for this whole time. She's been like the league scoring leader. But now she has some players that can help her. So they're actually going to win. That's like even scarier. They got it to the first round, single elimination last year. Now there's no more single eliminations, which is big news for the W. Um, so I think they're going to make a deep run in the playoffs. If she keeps playing like this, you can't stop her. You cannot stop her. It's true. And then they got, um, is it Alicia Gray? Alicia Gray. Mm-hmm. She's great. That's a gold medalist. Mm-hmm. They got Satu Sabli coming back. Yes. And all the every team also has a every team has a player with COVID because they have to fly a commercial. And they also have a player who's stuck in Europe because the Europe finals are happening at the beginning of the season. They don't even have their starting center yet. And Dallas looks like a top four team right now. That's the hardest part because this is like you can't really take these teams in the first week as they are because they are all missing players. Like you said, a lot of contracts are either partially suspended or fully suspended because they are still coming from, again, their bag in the Euro League. They're coming from that to 
do their side hustle, which is the WBA. So that Crazy. they have to make those priorities. But it's going to be very interesting next year with the CBA. They're going to basically fine them um, if they come late to training camp or suspend them. There's going to be some type of penalty for coming late. The W is like, hey, we want to be your priority. We're not going to give you more money, but we want to <laughs> be your priority. So we're going to fine you if you come late. And that's going to be so interesting. I'm I'm very curious how that's going to play out. Players are going to have a choice. Like, do I stay for my full season overseas or do I come and start the year with with my WNBA team? That's going to be looking out for that. Two things. If I had to go to Turkey to do stand up comedy and get paid, I would be an accountant right now. <laughs> I would have I would have paid attention in high school. I would have did all my worksheets on time. None of this would be taking place. Two things. I think the Europe game is about to suffer because of the war, because of the war in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. If there was no war and the W tried to enforce these penalties, the W would suffer. Mm-hmm. But I think there's some real fear in living overseas. And plus, when you put the money on it, I think a lot of these European teams are about to suffer. That's a fair point. Um, w- one thing, did you guys see that moment with Sue Bird and Tarasi kind of trash talk and getting into it? I mean, obviously from this summer too, in, in the tournament, uh, the women's uh, college tournament, I need those two, um, whether it's a Manning cast or we need to see, those are the moments that I think transcend just, you know, WNBA, women's sports. It's like all sports. They're going viral on Twitter and whatnot. We need to set up more opportunities like that and aspects of entertainment that those two, because they're like, oh, people like don't watch WNBA because there's no stars. There are two legitimate stars there and they need to give them the platform. So what would you like to see either the league itself or even like these uh, channels like ESPN, Bleach Reports? How do we continue to push and give those platforms to personalities like Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi? Yeah, there's when people say there's no stars, it's. Every team is a super team. We just named off of like yeah. all all stars, all number one picks. They're all on one team. They're all stars. And um, Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird are not only are they best friends, they make great content. My favorite thing from that broadcast was Bill Walton being like, I can't believe you guys aren't in the Hall of Fame yet. And they're like, we're still playing. Bill. <laughs> we are still currently in the WNBA, where we've been playing forever. <laughs> so I think also like <laughs> Sue Bird has kind of said that she's retiring. She's kind of doing a, a Tom Brady where she's like, uh, did I say this is my last year? Diane Trusty's like, I'm playing 10 more years. Don't count me out. I'm always going to play. Um, I think if Sue Bird does retire, she... I believe is going to be a champion for this league. She's going to be yeah. on broadcast. She's going to be everywhere. People love to hear her talk about basketball. Not only is she a point God on the court, but she's so good with, you know, breaking down film, breaking down plays, talking about player development. She's been in the league for 20 years. Like she knows everything. Um, so I want to see more of that. I also want to see, which is my mission with what I'm t- showing off those personalities throughout the league. Um, Like we have a show, an episode coming up with Brittany Sykes on the Sparks. Maybe not a superstar that you, you know, if you're not really in tune that you would know, 
but she's hilarious and she would have been a professional bowler. Like all of these personality traits that make the NBA so popular, you latch on to Ant because you're like, okay, he has a flip phone. He has, he named his dog after himself. Like all of these things that we know because it's constantly pushed in our face. I want that for the W because the women, they're hilarious. They have personalities. They are more than just basketball players. And that's what I think is going to bring more fans. Because even if you, you're you not, you know, a Sparks yeah. fan, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I love bowling too. Just like Brittany Sykes. I'm going to watch her play. And that's how we have to get more fans and more people invested to me. You know what it is? I think it's um, it's the TV yeah. deals and it's, it's where it is. Like, there need we need an inside stuff. Yeah. Yes. When we grew up, the nineties, we was we we found out about mm-hmm. how NBA players live because of inside stuff. I don't think the W has that. I think TNT. I think we need TNT to get involved. I think it's time for an inside the W. I don't think there's we got the two spots. You got Sue and Diana. Yep. So that's like Charles and Shaq. Yep. But we still you still gotta figure out them last two seats. I would love to volunteer as Ernie. I would vote. I'd yeah. vote for that. Yes. Jordan, you'd be an amazing Ernie. Can you wear a bow tie? I love bow ties. I used to make them <laughs> in high school. That's a very, very horrible fun fact about me that I would make <laughs> Who would you say, Jordan, right now? Like in the way I love how you talked about, because yeah, I mean, that's the whole mission with follow through, not to like plug, but we've all been involved with it. Is that yeah. follow through dot studio? Is that follow through dot studio? <laughs> Jamal's always the hype man. Um, but it's like you know, there's players who watch them play, but these are human beings who have incredible stories off the court. So, to people yeah. who are in love with the NBA and who we need to tell that the WNBA offers these same type of stories, if not better, sometimes, who would be like the J.R. Smith in the WNBA? <laughs> Courtney Williams, easy. Yeah. It's yes! done. I already have it. It is Courtney Williams. Oh, oh why? Yeah. Well, tell me oh, why. Why, why Courtney Williams? Courtney Williams, because Courtney Williams is a little goon. She is. <laughs> she's she's crazy. She's a she's an elite scorer. Yeah. She's amazing. She's country as hell. <laughs> Last summer, her and her messy stripper girlfriend threw a girls only pool party. And there was a photo of her in lobster flip-flops holding a a liter of Crown Royal Apple. A, a liter. Big do- a big <laughs> handle. You could definitely of Crown see JR doing that. She would also totally go back to school for an a sport. It would probably be like tennis or something. Full yeah. ride like that. I, for pickleball. Yes. 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 And and she she was. She also is like the the Ja Morant connection to throughout the playoffs because her dad, when the Connecticut Suns were making that playoff run, he. I went to that game. I oh, went to yeah. that Sparks game. He was front row. He was Ja's dad was more cool though, but Courtney's dad had her jersey on. <laughs> no chill. Had no chill whatsoever. He was leading chants. Like he was at every single game. And I loved that storyline. Her her dad's support. Um, that was that's a little bit of the the jaw. But yeah, Courtney Williams is. Did you see what she said about the um, the Sports Illustrated swimsuit? 
Yes. Cover? Yes, I agreed with her. So the Sports <laughs> Illustrated, the Sports Illustrated cover um had some WNBA players on it, rocking bikinis. It was great. It was wonderful. But she said, you know, that's not what sexy means for women, for all women. So why not have women in board shorts and a t-shirt and something that she maybe said- she would wear? Where is how about something for the studs? Yeah, that, I put me. I want to see somebody in a beater. It is incredible. <laughs> um, all right, guys, well, watch the W. Watch Jordan Liggins, host of Jumpman uh, Brands, take it from LA. Uh, Spinsters yeah, and guys, watch buckets. Um, Jordan, thanks so much for joining us uh, and joining Take Line. I want to give you one one more. Give us one more reason why we should check out uh, Buckets on Wave and how we can check it out. Yes, well, subscribe to Buckets on YouTube. Um, We're going to be, it's called The Buckets 5. We're going to talk about, you know, my top five things every week. And we're going to do some retros. We're going to talk about the rookies. We're going to talk about everything about the W. It is really a fantastic league. What I always say, hoop is hoop. Real hoopers will watch the W because the basketball is very, very good. And uh, Say it loud. (laughs) Louder for the people in the back. Hoop is hoop. God damn. Um, I, I do agree with what you said, Jamel, with it is kind of difficult to figure out where the games are, but just push through it. Get on W Twitter. Yeah. We will tell you we're all holding hands and helping each other. Um, but yeah, the W is great. It's so important. And make sure to watch. That is it for us. Follow and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to the Take Line Show on YouTube for exclusive video clips from this episode, plus All Caps NBA, which airs every Friday. Check that out. I'm Jamel Johnson. Uh, it's Airbus Pod. That's CJ Toledano. <laughs> Follow through Dot Studio. Thank you for listening. CJ, say bye. Bye. We love you, Jason. Line is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Ryan Wallerson and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Drort. Engineering, editing, and sound design by the great Sarah Dibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. Mia Kelman is on the Zoom for vibes, and the vibes are fantastic all the time. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated.